0: Welcome to this week's episode of Crime Survivor Speak. My name is Aswat Thomas. I'm the National Director of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. We are a national network of 100,000 victims of crime across the country. To stay up to date on the latest episodes, you can do that on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other streaming platforms by clicking the link on your screen or going to the website at www.cssj.org podcast. I'm so excited about today's conversation. We're joined by someone who loved the great state of Texas. In fact, someone who has extensive experience as an organizer from across the country. He's also served as the National Training Director for Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. Prior to joining CSSJ, Jonathan was an advocate for teachers and educational equity in Louisiana where he coached and provided strategies for teachers and former teachers to change education policies locally and statewide. Jonathan has also worked as a progressive policy advocate in Washington, D.C. and was the deputy youth vote director with the Obama campaign in Ohio. So we got a lot to cover with Jonathan about his organizing and his advocacy experience. So thank you so much for being with us today, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Cool. So let's dive into it. So, Jonathan, to begin, like, tell us about what inspired you to pursue a career in organizing in advocacy.
1: Yeah, great question. So I started in my collegiate year. I remember going to Sam Houston State University where I became a member of NAACP. And honestly, I didn't know what I was getting into. I remember just seeing a bunch of people around campus wearing these NAACP T-shirts. And I said, man, I want to be a part of that, which led me to join one Thursday afternoon. And from there, that was a part of my advocacy organizing efforts that started. And interesting enough, that was around the same time that the election was happening in 2008. And so there was a lot of organizing taking place on campus through NAACP. Little did I know that that would be the time I would get super involved by joining on the state level, joining on a national level, in a regional level. And that just took off my career in organizing and issue campaigns. And so I remember just becoming a youth state president. I was an officer on my college campus as the financial secretary. Uh, I remember being the treasurer. And then I was a youth state president, right, for our youth and college division in Texas. And then being hired on for the national office in Baltimore, which led me to move to the East Coast. And so right after undergrad, I started doing just issue-based campaigns through NAACP. But not only that, even in Texas, you know, through NAACP, we did a lot of issue-based campaigns, like one, Textbooks. We had a a moment where the state of Texas was planning to eliminate certain history out of textbooks, which is coming full circle now. Uh, where they're talking about that once again. In addition to that, we were doing voting midterm elections, making sure people turned out to to vote, getting pledges as well for people to vote. And so that jump started my career in organizing, doing advocacy in that led my heart and saw that impact that it had on community, that it had on my community, and people who just wanted to be connected, right, who wanted more information. So from there, there was a journey of just always doing advocacy, doing issue-based campaigns, and then electoral campaigns.
0: So that was my jumpstart. Just amazing, a great experience, you know, coming out of grad school, doing issue education campaigns, organizing electoral advocacy, and working on those campaigns, Um, And also you mentioned your work at the NAACP. How did you find out about crime survivors for safety and justice?
1: Yeah, interesting story. So
0: interesting. It's come full
1: circle. So I'm hired on to work for NAACP in Baltimore, Maryland. So I moved to the East Coast two months after graduating from undergrad. And I remember just walking around the office, just meeting people for the first time and particularly our criminal justice director, which was Robert Rooks. And so I just remember just always trying to see what Robert was doing because my undergrad major was criminal justice. And so meeting Robert, we worked on some campaigns together, particularly our Troy Davis campaign. And that led us to draw closer and work together. Eventually I kept trying to get into Robert's team and Robert ended up leaving and moving to California for greater opportunity. And so, eight years later, Robert and I connected back at NAACP National Convention in Baltimore, and they had a former staff reception. And I ended up talking to Robert for a little bit, who then started telling me about his work that he was doing and the work that he they were building out with Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice and the Alliance for Safety and Justice. Which, interesting enough, he talked about you as well a lot and was sharing like he wanted us to connect. And that was the starting point of our connection. And one day, Robert called and was like, hey, I want to offer you the job. And that was the start of me getting involved with Crime, Survivors for, for Safety and Justice. And been here now going on five years, October
0: 2nd. Thank you for just one trusting us as an organization to join the team. And just like that that common thread with Robert Brooks, for those of you who don't know Robert Brooks, so Robert Brooks is the co-founder of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice, also the co-founder of the Alliance for Safety and Justice. And just like Jonathan, I you know, got my introduction to the organization through Robert Brooks as well. Jonathan, I remember the conversations that you and I had uh, before you were part of the organization. And I remember talking with you about the work and you know the question that people ask me how did I get into the work and I often share my experience uh, as a survivor and I remember asking you that question have you ever been a survivor have you ever been a victim of a crime and I think you shared like you haven't thought about that as much or you yep. may share that you know maybe I'm not a survivor but I remember I think it was probably a few days after you came to that realization that you was a survivor can you talk about your experience as a survivor Yeah. Interesting enough that you asked me that. So you and
1: Robert both asked me that question. I remember just saying, no, I'm not a survivor. When I think about survivors, I thought about SVU, right? Of like watching Law and Order. And so I remember you, you shared just a bunch of material with me via email. And I remember going through the information and reading us and thinking to myself, oh, I am a crime survivor. Right. But in my community, that's not often what we call ourselves or how we identify And I remember just thinking about every incident where I've been a victim of a crime. One starting with me and my best friend walking in our community and just four blocks from my house being robbed, right? Thinking that I was gonna die and that this is where my parents would find me um, four blocks from my house. Another incident where I was in a barbershop at an even younger age, me and my brother, and two guys were in there. They literally tried to rob the barber. But not only did they try to rob him, they literally shot the gun at him and me sitting there having to be a seven-year-old trying to identify these individuals to the police, right? But even in those incidents, and never offered any type of services, never thought about me identifying as a crime victim. And so it was those incidents alone where I had experienced those things with the whole array of other crime victim experiences I had experienced in my community. And so those are two that just, I remember telling you all about like, I actually am a crime victim and never thought to connect the dots. And so those were those moments that connected me to this work um, and that I share in, in my stories each day when I'm connecting with crime victims across the country.
0: Thank you for sharing. At that time, many of us come to that realization of, of being a survivor or, or even being impacted by trauma. So you joined Survivor for Safety and Justice. You know, our membership have grown over the years. a testament to your leadership in this work as well but for the first what year or two of you joining us you've literally traveled the entire country uh with me helping to train survivors to connect with other members uh, around uh this work i'm curious to hear from you what was that experience like for you of going from doing issue education work equity education work uh voter engagement to now transitioning to organizing uh, survivors, what was that experience like for you traveling the country and doing this type of organizing uh, with survivors what are some of the things that you've noticed from talking with survivors across the country? Yeah, let me
1: just say, when we were traveling the country together, I had no idea what I was doing. I could honestly say I just knew that I was coming to learn. I was coming to fly around the country with you and learn as much as I can, right? And I, I totally appreciate that whole moment. Me being able to follow you, listen to what you were doing and soak it all up. And so I can say today, just seeing how we have built this out, you all's vision has been truly transformational for me. Just thinking about that. And so traveling with you was it was different. It was in the sense of me like, okay, I'm learning this, but I'm not sure what's going on but not thinking about, we're about to build something massive across the country. And I was in it, I saw it, but I didn't really know at first. But today I can say that I am glad I was a part of the journey. I'm glad I'm here, which is a testament to me staying here this long. I have not been at any job, no more than two or two and a half years. For me, it's more so just, I love this work. I love what you all vision of what you all have for crime survivors for safety and justice. And I love that we are doing something totally different that most organizations don't do, never seen, most people haven't even seen. And so just to be a part of this has been truly amazing and inspiring to me.
0: You talk about like the vision that we've had, but now you're setting your own vision right through your leadership as our national training director. So now you are taking the lead to facilitate and lead trainings for members and understanding our Theory of Change, our model, the legislative and policy advocacy process for survivors who are interested in, in in talking with legislators or being trained or to tell their stories in public spaces? What are some of the key takeaways that you try to teach in your training of survivors to develop them as advocates and as leaders?
1: Yeah, honestly, most of our survivors are leaders within their own community. And so it is not hard to just identify them, it's more so of just giving them the tools that they never had, right? And I'm fortunate that we are an organization that have the tools to give people to actually just showcase their leadership that they already had. In addition to that, I think that a lot of people who are introduced to doing advocacy work with us is always amazed, right? They're thinking about safety, public safety, totally different now. And so I'm happy that my vision to them is I want to train you on how to advocate, how to talk to legislators, how to just share your story in a way that feels good to you. And so giving them those tools and helping them through that process has been a tremendous, just a tremendous blessing for me. Because oftentimes, as you know, you and I have often shared, like we hear people off, all the time say, I've never been to the state capitol which is also can be mind blowing sometimes for me, but also just a humbling experience to know, like, I have made a change in somebody's life, a place that can be an hour away. They've never been. They've never been to uh, a legislator office in the Capitol. They've never been to the state Capitol. They never see the other people that come there to advocate all the time. So it is a great feeling. I love it which now has turned me to think about what is the division of trainings? Like, how do we take people to the next step and the next level in this process? So once they've gone through our three trainings that we created, like, how do we go to the next level?
0: You said something that is so important for the survivors that we are working with. And majority of them are in those communities that are most harmed by violence, are those same communities that are least supported by the justice system and many of the survivors who you are training across the country, as you mentioned, never been to the state capital before. Even if that state capital is 10 minutes away, majority of survivors in our network have never been to the capital, especially to advocate for policies around their own experience. So we'd love to hear from you. So you're training survivors in their local communities. You're training them to go to the capital to meet with uh, legislators as well. So what what goes into the process for you of coordinating those legislative visits, of identifying those survivors to speak with legislators? And, and what goes through the process of, like, ensuring that survivors are prepared enough to empower them to tell their stories with, with legislators?
1: You know, I think about a couple of things. Oftentimes in our communities, particularly communities of color, are crime survivors who have experienced harm and repeat harm have no idea, like, what does that even look like? What to even say? Is there a law that helped me and what I'm dealing with right now? And so in preparing for those, we have to go in and share with people what's even possible first, because people have been operating in a space of, I have no idea what to say. I don't even know if there's a law that can help me and what my victimization is. And if it is a law, who do I talk to? And so preparing crime victims for legislative visits or advocacy training, there's a process where, one, I take them through, who is your legislators in the community at the state capitol, shall I say? Here's the information of what is possible that we can see past. But not only what's possible, how does this affect you in your community, right, as a crime survivor? And oftentimes we see people who are like, wow, I wish I had this when when I had experienced my victimization. We take it a step further. All right. How do you share your story? Let's practice that. Because sharing your story is so important, which most legislators have have never seen or only seen probably one or two or just a certain group of people. And so them sharing their story oftentimes is their first time It's their first time sharing it with another crime survivors. But that helped them in the process to understand that I can share my story the best way that feels good to me. And I can share my story with someone who I know can change policy that helps me and my community.
0: So folks are being trained in local communities trained how to one knowing who their legislators are right and, and who are the people they're going to be meeting with training them around sharing their story you know as they walk into uh, that legislators office or that hearing so f- for you in doing this training like what in your mind is like the ideal outcome of these legislative visits and what are the outcomes that you may want to uh, avoid as well
1: yeah, so the ideal outcomes that I, I want people to get is one, feeling safe, right? Feeling safe to share, feeling safe to share their story, feeling safe to go to the Capitol and making sure that legislator heard that person's story, um, but also what they're asking for. That is the biggest thing I push. Please share your story. But if you don't go in there without an axe. It's you're just meeting just the meet, right? And we wanna see change in our communities. So that is my biggest outcome. My other outcome that I don't often say is that I want people to be comfortable to go back without us collectively as an organization. I want them to build their relationship on their own, right? But I also want them to go back and galvanize more and more crime survivors in their community to bring back to say, hey, we got people who will listen to us at the state capitol, our legislators who we vote in each election, and they can change the things that we need in order to make sure our communities are safer. Oftentimes, I'm hoping that they don't go in there and experience a bad legislative meeting or they don't go in there and ask for what they actually want. Those are like my top two things that I hope that a crime survivor never have to experience only because that can make somebody feel like, well, what's the purpose? Why do I come back here if nothing happens or if this person is not going to listen to me? But oftentimes, it can be a thing where People are actually fired up and energized by disrespect and making sure they go out and
0: and move and organize more crime survivors. And, and that has happened before, right? And what you just mentioned, I think people might have the, the best experience in a legislative business, but you know, the times when they come back and say, I'm more fired up than ever now, yeah. right? I'm, I'm more, I, I really want to make these changes because of what so many survivors go through of being disrespected, feeling disregard from legislators, from law enforcement, from folks who are in power. And I think when you think about the training that you've been doing over the the past few years just like the impact we've had so since you've came on board and joined our organization we've trained thousands of leaders across the country and understanding the legislative process, understanding our model, organizing, storytelling, communication. Even with the COVID pandemic, you've now started to train survivors and understanding Zoom, right? So we've trained like thousands of members across the country and the impact that we've had so far, which I think is a testament to like your leadership has been, we've passed over 50 legislative bills. Uh, We've been able to help move about $1.3 billion dollars out of the justice system into more prevention, more mental health, more uh, trauma recovery. We've, in fact, we've launched 40 trauma recovery centers. We've passed just dozens of reforms to remove barriers to victim services and increase access to services and then reforms to help rehabilitate uh, individuals incarcerated and that remove barriers when people are coming home out of the justice system because of like the training um because of the the advocates we've developed we've seen the impact in legislatures across the country of when survivors' voices are at the center of policy making that's when we can create safe communities and we can make sure people heal as well i wanted to touch on two things that you're building Uh, for not only our organization, but building for just communities and and survivors across the country. So now you're building this new training curriculum. The tagline that you said is like, we want to build skills, we want to build community, we want to build power, right? For folks who are listening, who might be interested in learning how to be a skillful and effective organizer or advocate what would you say are like some of the guiding principles for mobilizing people towards a, a common goal, like changing the justice system?
1: A lot of that has to do with just listening. Most communities that has been impacted by crime and violence, they start with, with listening. Oftentimes we know crime victims have experienced victimization and no one listened to them. And so to be able to organize those individuals, you have to start by listening. That's what makes a great organizer. Listening first, asking that person what is the need, because the person closest to the problem have the solution, right, which we often say. And so through our curriculums that we have, we are developing and have developed at this point a skill of listening, learning how to listen, learning how to organize other individuals through listening. Like how does your listening become your superpower not to become that person who does the work for that individual, but allowing those individuals or crime survivors, shall I say, to be the leaders, be their own leader. They have their own story that they want to share. They can organize other crime victims in their community. And so those are some of the skills and some of the power in building community that we say in our tagline of what we're moving towards. You know, my vision now is We have been training people for the past four years. Now, let's move into what are other trainers that can help our members, even new members, existing members that can take them to the next level in this work. So if I'm no longer here today or tomorrow, this is something that will forever stand with them and that they can continue to organize in their community.
0: So build a skill build community and build power is the next evolution of our work at crimes Fire Safety and justice into just the training and leadership development that jonathan um is leading out there so if you are interested in joining cssj go to our website right now and become a member one thing that we do offer as an organization to our members are these free trainings, right? To build those skills, to build a community of survivors and to build power as well. So John, so that's the new curriculum that you're developing, which some will be led by our staff, but also it's a train-to-trainer model as well. We're going to train leaders to take this curriculum and also train more members to kind of really build that base of survivors and advocates across the country. The second thing that you are also working on, like as our national training director, you work directly not only with our members but you also work with our staff to help them become more effective advocates and I know you're in a process of developing a new leadership academy training program to help build that new pipeline of leaders who can help win safety priorities in our state can you talk a little bit about the leadership academy training and what are your goals for this leadership academy training
1: I'm glad you asking that because this is one thing I'm super excited about. And just to give background about what is the Leadership Academy and our thought process of what the Leadership Academy is, uh, what it was intended for is we know there's a number of leaders within chapters, our local chapters who are contributing every day in different ways to make sure the chapter is flowing or functioning better. And so what we wanted to do through our Leadership Academy was, well, what are the skills that this individual may need to make sure we create great gatherings, great meetings, but how do we make sure that this person or these individuals can make sure the chapter keep going if something was to happen or to eventually become the next leader within that chapter. And so I'm excited about that because as you mentioned we're training the next group of leaders. And what makes me so happy is that as I was talking through the curriculum for the Leadership Academy, we essentially just set it up to where, at the end, I won't give too much because I want people to be excited about it when we come to their state. Essentially, we're gonna give them some materials and they basically have to create a great chapter meeting or a great gathering, right, within that chapter. And they could be most creative way possible whether that's dancing, singing, however. So I'm giving you some little hints of what we're looking for. But how do they make sure a chapter meeting is so great that people want to come back, that it draw more people to that chapter? Uh, Essentially, it's almost like church. Like if you go to church, if your church is dead, people are not going to come. But what are the things that you're putting in place to make sure your leadership is good, that more people want to come to that church each Sunday, right? And so, you know, I go to church often. So that was my my reference to how I'm looking at how our gatherings are becoming more, they're building more power, building community, more people are coming. And so those are some of the things that we hope people will get out of the Leadership Academy. And so, yeah,
0: I'm excited about it. That's pretty cool. So not only are we just like training folks to to go to the Capitol and, and to talk with the media, but also just training people on how to build that community In their local neighborhoods In their local communities I think that is so important For so many survivors Now we often feel alone We often feel isolated I think through our model Like the beauty When survivors come together Across victim experiences as well So excited Excited for you to be kicking off The Leadership Academy In the state of Florida Then I know you're going to be uh, Traveling across the country Over these next few months You're going to go to Texas You're going to go to California Michigan Illinois, Ohio Pennsylvania So you're going to be Developing these pipeline of leaders in states across the country once again if you are listening today become a member and the opportunity for you to not only get trained but potentially one day join this leadership academy which is a two to three day training we also will be training people living with past convictions as well as part of this leadership academy which is a pretty groundbreaking and exciting yeah
1: can i say something else to that Of course, you know, what comes to mind is that we do such great work, of course, on staff, but particularly our members who are doing the work each year, going to the Capitol, doing press, talking to media. We want to make sure through these leadership academies that we're building more leaders and they're being able to make sure that that information is disseminated back into community to drive more people back to chapter meetings.
0: Now, thank you for sharing that job. And it's all connected, right? It's all connected. Yeah. And it, it's kind of connected back to like your early experience. And so curious to hear from you, like, what did you learn, you know, from your previous work in politics? And how did it feel to be part of that massive effort, you know, around President Obama's campaign a few years ago?
1: Yeah, that was my first electoral campaign that I had worked on. I was in the the state of Ohio. And so that was a huge deal, right? Because it was a swing state. And because President Obama had won in 2008, the goal was for him to win again in 2012. And so the pressure was on in the state of Ohio because that was a key state for us. And I'll never forget, I didn't know how big the campaign was in Ohio until we had an all statewide meeting. In Columbus, we went to the convention center. That's how big it was. And there was almost like a thousand staff alone working in the state of Ohio. That didn't include the volunteers who were knocking doors every day, right? So that, that was telling to me like the impact that I was making and all these other individuals was super important. And so it felt good for me because I know I had knocked on a lot of doors. But one thing I really did was, which I'll never forget, towards the end, I was like coordinating transportation with local bus companies or churches who had vans and literally people were calling who wanted a ride to the pole. This was before Uber and Lyft was out. And those individuals would call and I would set up time for these churches or other companies who lended their vehicles to go pick up people and literally take them to the pole. That was a huge impact because I went on a ride along with one and just listening to those individuals share why it was so important for them to get out and vote, uh, why they had to go vote. And so happy that we had offered that service that that was forever lasting in my heart. And so to this day, I still have people in Ohio, particularly Cleveland, that I'm still connected to on Facebook. A lot of staff that didn't live in Ohio that I'm still connected to. So that was a
0: lasting impact on my life that I'll never forget. And that's what it's about. It's about organizing and building leadership. You know, if you are a survivor, if you want to join a community of survivors, uh, you want to potentially go to these amazing trainings uh, that we offer, join us right now. Uh, Go to the website at www.cssj.org to become a member and you'll get information about upcoming training opportunities in your area, which could be in person, or we also offer training opportunities online as well. Jonathan, my last question for you before we close today's episode, Um, you think about our chapters, right? You know, there are survivors in that room around different victim experiences, right? There are organizations in that room that work on different issues. And so, you know, how do you inspire large groups of people to work together and how do you also break through any barriers that might show up? Um, one thing that comes to
1: mind is starting with one-on-one. We say this over and over. You've drilled this in a lot of our staff. It's just a part of organizing. One-on-one meetings changes things. One, because when you can have a one-on-one meeting with someone, you know their why. You know their self-interest. You understand why they're showing up for that work. And you can move and navigate around that person without causing tension versus when you don't have those individual conversations, you don't know why that person is there. You don't know what moves that person, what's their self-interest. And so you're just operating in a space of, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do and they should do what they wanna do. When ultimately you both are trying to get to the same goal, you just haven't talked about how the two our organizations or individuals of those organizations should work together. And so I often say for large groups, It has to start with a sit down of what's our why? Why are you here? Why are you doing this work? Because then it humanizes the other person on both sides, right? You understand why they show up for this work every day and why they go so hard. So when they do something, you don't see it as a threat. You see it as passion. And oftentimes in our work, I often don't have to say much because the members in that room are going to just do it. I spend most of my time listening. We have members and leaders that show up in a way that oftentimes I don't have to say anything. I um, mean, just experienced this in a training in Philadelphia. One individual came and she kept saying how she do this work every day, right? She do it every day. You know, who are we? Why are we doing this? And I remember just sitting there and just the members in the room shared their stories, right? We opened up and shared our stories and it literally shifted her whole mood. And I remember when it shipped her whole mood, she stayed for the entire meeting versus leaving. And she said she wasn't going to be that long. She's like, I'm going to leave. I won't stay long, but we already do this. And literally because everyone shared their story of why they was in that room. She stayed the whole meeting. She did most of the talking. And so it just starts with just people sharing their why, why they're there. And then that creates this group of people who work together because everyone know. I know I'm saying a lot, but hopefully that that resonates for people who are listening and understand why one-on-one meetings is so important. And that could be in any realm of work. So even your coworkers, that makes a big difference in when you understand why people show up for the work that they do.
0: One-on-ones, getting to know people, getting to know their why in sharing stories to build that community uh, amongst uh, each other, which is so critical to all the work that we are doing. It's so critical to our daily lives as well. Jonathan, just want to thank you so much. Thank you for your leadership with CSSJ. Thank you for dedicating thousands of hours traveling this country, training survivors, and for your vision in helping to build out this new curriculum, training the leadership academy. And your vision, what you are doing is helping to build the next pipeline of leaders to win new safety for all. So thank you so much, Jonathan, for for joining us today. Thank you. And once again, thank you so much to everyone for listening to today's episode. A reminder that, as Jonathan talked about, it's important to get involved in elections this year. We are running our Heal the Vote campaign. Go to our website, www.cssj.org slash vote. Join the Heal the Vote campaign. Take the pledge. Mobilize other survivors in your community. Once again, if you want to become a member of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice or our email list visit our website at www.csj.org to join a local chapter near you or our national network you can tune into all podcast episodes on youtube apple Podcasts, spotify and other streaming platforms remember we are healing through action and we know this every time is that when survivors speak change happens